Hello everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of Spill Your Beans. We're doing another film review. It's been a while. Oh no, it actually hasn't been a while because this is going to be episode two, so that's a mistake, but who cares? We'll leave it in. We're, we're impromptu. We're talking about The World's End today, um, the last film of the Cornetto trilogy. We've talked about Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz on here before over the last two seasons, and I thought we'd wrap it up with season three and talk about The World's End. I'm joined today by the wonderful Jude Lavis. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're, you're very welcome here. It's great to talk. And for those who are just listening, I'm sat in a Zoom call. You're in full cosplay. <laughs> I am, yeah. I am. Knowing this is going to be mainly on audio platforms, uh, might have been a bit of a mistake considering how sweaty <laughs> I'm going to get. But, you know, for those of you privileged to see this, it'll be a joy. It's phenomenal. It's phenom- Do you want to give us a bit of a tour of it for when I yeah, so, inevitably put this on TikTok? <laughs> so I've got, the, uh, I've got the T-shirt that he wears. This is the yeah. um, Sisters of Mercy T-shirt. Uh, yeah. I've got the, the pendants that are accurate, screen accurate yeah. pendants. It's not done yet. I've still got to buy the rings and everything. And all this sort yeah, of stuff. yeah. Got the uh, out of order sign that he wears sort of halfway through the film. This Brilliant. jacket's not not accurate, but you know, got the glasses, got a bit of it's, blood. It'll, it'll, it'll look a lot better, but this is the sort of sneak peek. You're getting an exclusive on Spill Your Beans. Yeah, so you've got this, you were saying before the recording, you got this for MCM Comic Con this May. Yeah, MCM. I thought I'd sort of do a non-Doctor mm. Who cosplay because my past couple have been Doctor Who and I just thought who's who's a cool character from a film I love I'll go Gary King why not it's a great choice it's a great choice so you don't really see much of that I mean like yeah it's I, a I think, really yeah it's an uncommon one you you see a lot of um, Sean and Ed from Sean yeah. and Ed but you never yeah. see Gary King and I thought I'll, ch- I'll change yeah, you that don't. and I think that's again like going into the film a little bit and I'm sure we'll talk about this quite a lot the World's End's got a really like strange legacy around it because yeah. on one hand it's part of this like phenomenal trilogy which is sort of universally recognized in british film culture then it's also got this sort of weird thing to it where whenever you talk about it it, most people go ah the world's end that's the shit one isn't it but it's you know it's but i mean yeah you might agree or disagree i don't think it is i don't think it is the shit one the i my opinion on the world's end is it's my favorite of the three and i know that's very it's a co- it's a controversial thing to say, and you know people seem to go either Hot Fuzz or, or Shaun of the Dead, and it's it's mm. rarely the film of the three that people go, this is my favourite. Mm. Um, but I've rewatched it a few times because the first time I watched it, I wasn't a fan. Yeah. On a couple of rewatches, I just thought this is brilliant, and there's well, obviously we'll talk about this later, but there's so many intricate details in this film that feel so well crafted, and mm. I don't think the other two films have as much. Not attention to detail, but there's so much symbolism in this film that I can't there's wait to talk about. So, so much. Um, but so, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll jump right into that immediately. I mean, obviously, for those listening to Spill Your Beans, you'll have heard my opinions to death on Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and uh, the last two episodes we've done of those. Um, but yourself, I mean, you put the Cornetto trilogy down in, in your sort of application form for films you'd want to talk about. Um, oh, sorry. It seemed like a perfect opportunity to sort of bring... Um, bring it up and talk about here because it's it's again i knew with the cosplay as well i thought there'd be something interesting that i want to know what you think before we get onto the world's end uh, about Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz i think they're excellent films i think edgar wright is a is a brilliant director and i think that those films are just full to the brim of beautiful shots and you know nick frost and simon pegg are brilliant together they're electric every film they're in they make it they make it great mm. and um they are some of the best films ever made i think you know they're mm. laugh out loud they're beautifully shot and all this sort of stuff i could talk about them for hours but mm. um i do think the other two are brilliant films and just because i say world's end's my favorite doesn't detract any from no. the other two i no, think no, absolutely I think, I think they're excellent yeah yeah i think for me it's that as well where it's that i think all three of these films i've never found a trilogy that's so like like on par with the rest of yeah. the films like there's not a one for me that stands out above the others and like the one thing I always say, and I've probably said in the past two reviews as well, is that thing with the Cornetto trilogy is you can watch any of these films, and when you've just watched it, you can go, that's my favourite one. And yeah, then you yeah, watch yeah. another one, and then that's your favourite. And then it sort of bounces between, because yeah. they're all brilliant in their own manner, but also different, yet similar. It's a weird one. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of uh, interlocking themes mm. you know, within the films, and there's obviously a lot of actors that are used in, yeah, in, yeah. in all three, which, you know, is is a nice way to link them. Obviously, we've got the Cornetto being the main sort of linker mm. of the three, and it's each each time it's used in a, in a, in a great way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they are. I think they are very on par. I think World's End is, is going to be my favourite, but 
it you know it's so so close if world's mm. end is 10 out of 10 for me then the other two are nines if you know what i mean yeah like they're, they're yeah, so yeah. close in, in in my ranking yeah i i think it's yeah i completely agree with you i think it's it is one of those things and again for me it changes all the time i had like a, an interesting thing watching it yesterday going in and i think there's some bits that work for me and some bits that didn't as much but i think there's there's a, an element of that when this film came out um I was just under that age bracket of being able to yeah, see it same. in cinema, and it's so annoying because I, um, my my dad loved Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and I just watched them and, and got ready for the new one, and then it was announced that it was like a fifteen, yeah. and it couldn't see it, and it was so annoying. And I remember when it came out on um, digital or DVD or whatever the first one was, then me and my dad sort of watching it um, together, and it was. It was great, and that, that first that first viewing is, is excellent. But one thing, and I think it, it takes from a, one of these really good comedies, same as Shaun of the Dead, same as Hot Fuzz, same as The World's End, and you, you can see the same about many different comedies out there. But I think it's one of those films that is so much more rewarding the more you watch it. And I watched oh, it last night. I watched it last night with subtitles on for the first time, which I do regularly with films now, just so I can catch all the details. And I picked up so much more, and like little yeah. things, but it's so. Like as you were saying before, I mean, there's there's some fantastic moments, and we have, everyone knows about Edgar Wright's sort of tendency to sort of spell out the film at the beginning, you know, like the opening yeah, sequence, yeah. Um, and obviously like the pub names and stuff. But even little yeah. things like the reference to the Three Musketeers and how he's talking about at the beginning, how it's like you could have five and the Mister Trick, yeah, you have five, then kill off two, and then you still have three left. And like, yeah, yeah, fuck. yeah. <laughs> That's honestly, the- there's there's so much in that film, and even down to the costume. Look at the mm. two characters that are wearing blue. They're the ones that get killed. Every other character that stays alive isn't wearing blue. Because that obviously that's so synonymous with the aliens. Clever. And it's, it's, so and clever. It's just, there's so much. Um, isn't, it, isn't it right at the start when they're trying to get signal that all the network's down? And the network mm. is the villain at the end. Yeah. And obviously yeah. with the pub names, how every single one equates to something in the story that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, even the characters' names. You've got... Um, you know, you've got Gary King, um, Andy Knightley, Stephen Prince. Um, oh, God, yeah. Chamberlain. And, and what is the other one? So you've got um, Knightley, Prince, um, Chamberlain, Page. Yeah, and Page. So, so all of their names yeah. relate in some way to sort of the Knights of the Garter. And he's the main yeah. one. He's the king. That's so clever. Again, the little things like that just make it, yeah. I think, make it so much more impactful when you're, again, the rewatches and you pick up on more things. And I think because the other two have been around for longer, people see those and go, yeah, they've got all the details of it. So, but I think The World's End, um, weirdly, is one of the better woven together ones, just out of filmmaking experience. Yeah. I think it's their third run at it, and they've got mm. great experience on the first two to, to work from, but also just tie in so much. And there's yeah. so many references, individual little lines, um, like Andy saying about him and his wife wanting to go organic, just as a throwaway line yeah, in the film. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big thing by the end. Like there's, they're going there's another one that because yeah. I've seen this so many times. I, the most the what the time I watched it most recently, I was introducing it to two of my friends. So I really want you know when you want to show someone a film. Yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. This is just brilliant, and I need you to see it. And yeah. watching it for the first time with them uh, was was amazing because even then mm. I noticed some things that I didn't notice the, the first time round. Um, Oliver, mm. the one with the birthmark. Um, they refer to him at the start that he thought he was a hit with the ladies, but it turns out he was all mouth. At the end of the film, he's got the top of his head missing, so he's literally <laughs> all mouth. I didn't and, even pick up on that. That's so good. And it's like, every time you watch it, you think, bloody hell. I but didn't notice a, that. The f- but it's a masterclass for me in comedy writing, as Edgar Wright always tends to be, but writing and directing, um, specifically in that sort of vein of, of comedy, I think it works really well. And mm. I think something that I'm sure we'll come back to later on when we talk about characters, um, something that really hits with this film for me, that I argue kind of, in some cases, pushes it above Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, is the characters. Yeah. Um, oh, 100%. And the, the depth, the surprising depth, as to like how, where they take them. And I think for me, seeing um, like what they do with uh, Gary's character and Andy's character, and the depth that they weave into their stories, I think is brilliant. Um, mm. And again, those little details, and I love how again, I love how like at the start you've got Gary, you know, sat in a circle talking about you know the past and all that yeah. sort of thing. By the end, Andy's doing that. Yeah. Um, in that same sort of setup, I never clicked on that until yesterday, and I'm like, I never on. clicked on that until you just said it. So yeah, literally, I, I was just sat there, and I was like. 
it's yeah because it's the same thing like he mm. at the beginning Gary's narrating and then it cuts to him in the circle and then it's the same thing with Andy right at the end he's in a circle around a campfire yeah yeah, yeah. Thing. and it's such a wow yeah a t- like again yeah, tiny little things like that and it I think some of the best sort of uh, later comedy films are when they have those more intricate moments of yeah connectivity and and like self-awareness and i love the fact that again like the stuff like the fence jumping and the cornetto mm. aren't like ma- like they're in it but they're not massive things it's like it doesn't no, feel exactly. the need at first when i first watched it years ago when it came out i mean 2013 it's probably like mm. 12 13 when that came out yeah so, so when i watched that it was sort of originally i was kind of thrown aback by like oh i wish they'd done more. i wish they'd made that more of a joke because back then that's yeah kind yeah, of- yeah the the, f- the fence scene in this film feels very disconnected because the other two are like they're they're sort of shot for shot remakes in hot fuzz Mm. and Shaun of the dead but Mm. in this one i think there's a couple of fence moments in that pub Mm. garden with the twins where you know he runs through one he jumps over you know he's pushing them over and you think was that the fence gag was that the fence gag and Mm. then at the end you see the cornetto rapper and you oh there it is and you Mm. you sort of forget you're watching a cornetto trilogy film because it's sort of yeah and i kind of think that's what works so well about the world's end is that it's it's sort of yeah, it's part of that trilogy, but it's the most different of the three, and it's the most experimental of the three, and it feels yeah. almost weirdly like this is the experimental one. Mm. It should be the first one that's the experimental one, but actually, yeah. I think this is where they're being more brave with it and going, well, we've done that before. I don't like people, and I think it's interesting is when people don't like the World's End for perfectly valid reasons yeah, yeah, in yeah. a lot of cases. Um, maybe it doesn't work for them but i think what they've tried is they've tried something different and they've tried to really challenge people when i first watched it it definitely wasn't my favorite of the three mm. now it's leaning more towards that because i'm like shit there's actually so much detail in this yeah. and so much thought got into it like what they do with the characters and like the the recurring gags are very different um mm. and yeah I, I think the use of um like a lot of this i just i think generally it's a, it's a very well put together film and I think weirdly underrated. Yeah, that is the like, word I would use for the film. Underrated. Yeah. I wish I wish more people who've only seen it once would rewatch it with a sort of fresh view and go, you know what, I'm going to just sit back and relax and see what I can pick out. Because there mm. are so many things in the film, whether it's the, the running gags or whether it's the symbolism or whether it's the characters or the plot or anything, mm. there will be something in there that grabs you and you latch onto it and go, this is expertly done. Mm. For me, it's the whole thing. I yeah. won't lie. For me, it's the whole thing. No, but, but like, it's understandable. I think it's it's, yeah, yeah. it's again. It talks about the characters and the depth and all that sort of thing. It's interesting to me because it's it's something that it was more of a gag when you're younger and you look at it now and what what rewatching it again now at like 21. I'm sure it'll have the same effect in another 10 years time. But watching it now, I'm sort of like, wow, this is um, this hits a lot harder than I was expecting oh, it, it to. Because yeah, I'm like, yeah, oh yeah. shit. <laughs> Because yeah. you sort of put yourself... Because, like, Gary King is not a nice guy. Like, no. he's obviously a very deep character. But, you know, through everything he's done, he lied about his mum being dead for sympathy. You know, he 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 pays Andy at the start, and you think, oh, what a nice gesture. And then you realise he's nicked the money from his other mates and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And he's obviously not a nice guy. But you f- you feel bad for him. Like, the he's obviously so... Um, he just holds on to the past. And it, even in things like the fact that he's still got his hospital wristband on from when he went to hospital all those years ago. Mm. And, you know, he just can't bring himself to let go of that. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, the car and the fact that there's the same tape in that tape deck that they've had since they were blooming teenagers. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a really sort of um, somber and quite gripping way of saying, like, you know, you're going to get older. <laughs> and yeah. life's going to change and you know that's that's one of the biggest things of the film is is i think change mm. is one of the biggest themes of the film and i think it 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 utilizes its characters far better than the other, in, than the other two in my opinion i just oh. think that they are yeah. so interconnected and you've got someone like um who was it who who's the one who who dies off in the in the forest i forget his name but the um, one that gets peter yeah yeah peter um even he has such a you know, a deep connection mm. to that that bully that that you know didn't even recognise him, and they yeah, even make what, a thing. Like, what a great monologue he has in the poem. Yes. I know it's like playoff as a joke with Gary with the shots, and I know it's a, like a significant. But I love that monologue. Even just the the dialogue behind that and the act, the performance there is so oh, like brilliant. real. I was like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, it's and it's the fact that Gary makes a joke, but Andy picks him up and says, "Hey, no, this is a he's having a deep moment here. Let's yeah. let's give him the respect he deserves." And mm. there's I don't think I can think of a because it it is about the five of them, but mm. the main characters are obviously Andy and and uh, Gary. But even yeah. the sort of secondary characters who obviously die off and whatever, even they get given so many sort of intricate moments where you feel mm. them as a person. They're not just this person that's there to be funny. They are. Yeah a deep character with motivations and fears and all this sort of stuff and i think that's it is is with Shaun of the dead i think has probably for me the most realistic characters second like second to the world's end um mm. hot fuzz i think is, is i can understand why people love that one the most i think it has a lot of the jokes and all of it but i think a lot of the characters if not all of them are very larger than life um yes and i can't find myself relating to anything in um hot fuzz somewhat Shaun of the dead i can definitely see like that being a reality, you know, not like zombies. Yeah. I mean, like working in like a corner shop or something. But like, if those you know, characters were plunged yeah. into that, that's exactly how they'd react. That's exa- exactly, and that's the realism element of it. And I think uh, the World's End has an element of that as well. But I think the thing that the World's End does so differently with its characters is it is it has that depth. It has that 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 emotion and that that realism. Is that I look at the World's End and go, I've got. I feel like i could be like this in like yeah. a few years time i could mm. be the one looking back like who 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 am i gonna be out of this like fight? yeah how yeah, would yeah. i act in this scenario mm. would i be thrilled about going back and doing like a pub mm. crawl again like yeah you know turning 40 i mean probably not but it's it, you know it's interesting and, and, and the way you look at it and um you know I, I think that's something the world's end absolutely has going for it that does like I mean, I, I think they're all on par in in different ways. I think where the world's end succeeds in characters, it might fall in comparison to the hot fuzz to like another element. But it doesn't matter mm. for me. The world's end, what it has is it surprises you because they try something different, and what yeah. they try differently is the characters and the depth that they have and all mm. that sort of thing. I think is like super rich. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I I I completely agree. There are, you know, there are bits that the other films do better. I will mm. admit that, but mm. I think that. It, it is sort of an experimental film in the fact that they aren't just, you know, comedy mm. characters. They are so deep and so sort of attractive to watch, if that makes sense. You just, you want yeah. to watch them interact because you just think they're so different, but they are all, you know, they're all together again. There's going to mm. be um, interesting moments. There's going to be the fact that, you know, one of them is, works in a car showroom now and mm. one of them is a blooming estate agent and one of them does this and one of them's a, a blooming a site manager on a building site but mm. then you've got Gary King who's obviously holding on to the past and there's just so much depth and so much that you can do and so much that was done with those characters mm. that there's not there's not a single aspect of them that's wasted it all feels like they're all given the time to breathe because they could have done like what Hot Fuzz did and, and, and work on what was popular and they could mm. have made it a bit more like larger than life characters and initially when you look at people like Gary King you kind of could think that and, and make that connection but actually I don't know. I I think mm. like I, I genuinely think there's something really special about the characterization of these um of these characters and I, and I think how they're put together and how they're presented in this film is something really special that you don't see very often in comedies. Um mm. cuz I think this film is primarily a comedy as all most yeah. of the coming out of trilogy, but what I think it has is it has a lot of heart and I think yeah. that is at least at the time very surprising. I feel like mm. I can see why it's polarizing, but I think for a lot of people I mean, maybe I mean, you can you can not like it. It's totally fair to not like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But I think for a lot of people, it's one of those things where they watched it once or twice. And went, yeah, it's fine, but it's not as good as Hot Fuzz. Mm. And that's like, watch it again. Like what? Like watch it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, like put the subtitles on. Keep an eye out for all these, like things. And I think genuinely, the way it's built, the way it's connected together, as a film, mm. it's an absolute masterclass in comedy writing and directing. And I think yes. it, it's an absolute testament to some of the more subtle stuff that Edgar Wright is capable of doing um, yeah. as a fucking cinematic genius, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, there's yeah. just so many... I think I think it, it really does succeed when it... Because it is quite self-referential. There's even... Um, someone pointed out, I don't know if this is even uh, fully confirmed, but on the night of... Because um, mm. I think it's established that on the night of the original pub crawl is when the network arrived... Yeah, um, you see it you, in the background. You see, the yeah, you see the, yeah. the meteorite, and I just thought that even that, and the fact that obviously Gary is so dismissive of Andy drinking water, and then at the end he's the one who's asking for five tap waters, please, and mm. you know shaved his beard, he's cleaned himself up a bit, um, and he's willing to fight with these blanks that have been you know demonized mm. this whole movie. 
Mm. Um, and it's I think what I like so much about this film is the fact that there's not really a villain apart from the network, but they mm. appear at the end. The mm. the the avatars of this network are these blanks, which are sort of are they evil? Are they robots? Well, mm. no robot means slave. Let's not call them that. You mm. know, it's really sort of interesting because is Gary the villain? Well, no, because he's obviously very damaged and he's a very complex character. Yeah. There's no doubt that he's not he's not the nicest of guys. Like no. I probably wouldn't want to be friends with him. No. But he's not like a straight up villain, you know. There's no. no hugely villainous presence in this film and I think that sort of works. But it's yeah, and that, and that's what it is and I think it's so clever of uh, the way they end the film with the network and that whole speech thing. I think when you really break it down like word for word and and what they're saying and what they're doing, mm. it's funny because they're pissed. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're so drunk and it's so like enjoyable in that respect. Um they just annoy it until yeah. it leaves. But I, I, I think it's what what's brilliant about it is it's well thought out. It's like the plan almost for a second makes you go, Huh, that's interesting. Like that's a, yeah. but then it's also yeah, you defend that human element of it. It's like who you know, mm. who's who's right it is like it's not your right to come down here and say all this. Well exactly, all this. exactly. And I think like the the that moment with Gary like looking into the eyes of almost his younger self and having that mm. opportunity to be reborn, um, I think it's brilliant. And I think the way it gives he turns me goosebumps it down is every brilliant. single yeah. time, so every single good. time, because it's it's sort of a the, the network is sort of an allegory for the people around Gary who are telling him to grow up and telling him to fit into this mold. Yeah, and, you know you've you've got the you've got the teacher, um, obviously played wonderfully by Piers Brosnan. Mm. Uh, I forget, oh. I forget, He's I brilliant. forget the I forget the character's name, but you know. Gary wants to be free and he wants to have a good time and he just wants to live his life and the network in a sense is telling him the same things that the teachers and everyone else did that essentially no you've got to fit in you've got to do what we say Mm. and he sort of I think by the end of the film he sort of sees that rebellion in a new light that he can be a cleaned up Mm. normal guy without strictly following everything everyone wants him to do he can move on and sort of live in the past at the same time yeah no, absolutely. I think it 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 has a lot of that, and I think it's, um, yeah, it's it, it's very clever in what it mm. does, and I think, you know, that there, there's, it's it's not like my favorite comedy of all time. It's not, I don't even know if it's my. I mean, probably up there as a favorite Edgar Wright film, but it's it's mm. a, it's like it's not one that I constantly think about. But whenever I go back to it, I always, you know, I'm always hit with something with it, with how clever and well thought out the film is as a whole in terms of its characters, in terms of how it's shot yeah. in terms of everything um, and we'll jump back to that uh, in a little bit but I want to shift on to before we get onto our first segment and talk about the music in this film um, mm. oh. both both licensed and uh, composed I think it's a, it's, re- it's really good isn't it because I, I, I like I like the music in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz but the music in this film is so like just perfect you know yeah it is it is um, the, the so- obviously the song at the end is this corrosion by Sisters of Mercy, hmm. that is obviously the band that Gary's got in his T-shirt, but yeah. it goes immediately into Happy Hour by the House Martins, which is one of my favourites, if not my favourite song of all time. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, maybe it's to do with this film why I like it so much. <laughs> Who knows? But even the lyrics of that song are so like they they relate so much to what's going on. Yeah. You know, I think I might be happy if I wasn't out with them. Like you could imagine every single character in that five going, "That's how I feel." I don't want to be out with Gary. I don't want to be out with Andy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The music is just so perfectly chosen. It's it is, and I think there's so much of it. And I think the inclusion of I think it's um, "Summer's Magic." I think the very first song, like right at the beginning, that plays mm. over like the or at the opening. I think is brilliant. And it's like one that's not on Spotify. You can't really find it. You have to yeah, do a bit of shame, digging to find it. But it's a, it's. It fits so well, and like I could mm. just put that on, and I'm like in that film. And I think yeah, yesterday yeah, yeah. when I put it on, it's like I have seen this film to death. You know, will it hit the same? Will it? And at the second that starts, I'm like, yeah, this is great. It's, it's <laughs> I brilliant. absolutely love it. I'm just I'm just looking at the track list now because it's it's just, mm. it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant, and there's you know there's it's difficult to say in in words how perfectly chosen each track is and how it just just mm. relates to what's going on. Um Yeah. But there's some brilliant tracks in there. Um, yeah. And I and I think as well the music that's actually composed for the film is really mm. good as well. I forgot about this and I always forget about this when I go into actually um 
like watching this film. But the uh, soundtrack, uh, the original score composed by Stephen Price, um, it's really good uh, in parts as well. Like every pub has a different vibe to it, um, which yes. is which is obviously intentional in the film, but also is displayed through the soundtrack beautifully. And I think mm. those fight scenes have such a memorable like score to them. Um, yeah, the sort of robotic electronic kind of vibe to it, as well as the sort oh, of the first fight in the toilets. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which that moment is oh. one of the I think one of the most shocking moments that I've ever seen in a film. Because mm. I remember watching it when I watched it recently with my two friends. Mm. I they their jaw just dropped because they thought it was going to be some generic film about you know this guy on a pub crawl, and then yeah, you see yeah. these just robots basically. Yeah. Um, and accompanied by that sort of feels like sort of edm type music it's like yeah dubstepy what I, I don't even know but you know it, it accompanies each moment so well mm. and i think we'd be remiss not to talk about the music composed especially for the film yeah no absolutely and i think as well it's it's a testament to how edgar wright uses music in his films licensed or otherwise um mm. and how it's mixed as well um something i i mean i, I something i noticed in the world's end prior which something i had never really thought about until i watched it yesterday um was the use of the um the hand dryer in the bathroom yes that was so interesting is that i was always a bit like weird like why do they smack the hand dryer before but it's to like block out the noise in the background yeah what that does is it creates this fantastic like um void almost like some of um like i can't remember what the, the technique is but there's sort of like that sort of rising like constant rising tension which is like a thing mm. in music i can't remember exactly what it's called but they, it's used in dunkirk and it's used in like yeah you know the mario 64 staircase that oh thing. yes the constant that just Where it's sort of const- stop. it feels like it's like constantly rising and it's that suspense tension sound effect as soon but as they, you said the stairs in mario 64 i know exactly yeah. what you mean but they use that 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 the hand dryer is almost like a, a diegetic way of doing that mixed in mm. with the music that tension mm. is there like immediately yeah. and it's yeah, yeah, in yeah. the world of the characters and like you can't take your eyes off it and i think that's they feel so, so clever they feel sort of isolated from the rest of the uh, the world in that in that sense because of the mm. hand dry because of the music because of you know the insanity of what we've just witnessed and it all sort of yeah. comes together and i think that's honestly one of the best films in uh, one of the best scenes in the film sorry i think it's mm. an under it's not a scene that people talk about when they talk about this film um but it is just and it the music and also the characters the way each character reacts exactly how they've been characterized to do yeah you know um Peter is an absolute wimp and he just runs <laughs> into the stall and he's just terrified and mm. it seems that Andy's fighting alongside his best mate again and you know it's it's just so well done so well executed and the music just makes it pop it's 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 wonderful and I think again like as I say a testament not just to the licensed music that's used in the film but I think how Edgar Wright uses sound um Again, just brings him up there as a director for me, and how that's how that's all those little things are thought of. Like in the world of the characters, it's to like block out the sound of them fighting so no one can yeah. hear it in the pub. But I never clicked on that. I never really mm. got why they did it. But it's that. It's very but then weird. It also, yeah. Then it also works in conjunction with the with the sound and the music and that that tension aspect. Like whenever that hand dryer smacked, that sound, that background sort of ambient hum, which mm. almost they use and tinker with to make it sort of rise a bit. Yeah, he's clever because I'm now on the edge of my seat because that mm. that's through the whole fight scene. There's no yeah. way that hand dryer is on that whole no. fight scene. Hand dryers don't I last mean, that long. I've maybe they just like every now and again press it off, off camera. <laughs> Gary's like, oh god, it's it's turned off again. Press it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's so like impactful. It's just one of many examples as to how they use the sound in this. And I think mm. as well, like with um the the sound of the robots themselves or not robots oh. the blanks you um, can't call cannot call, call them robots, robots. George. <laughs> not allowed um but like when they're like when they their faces light up and they make that sort of like that sort of almost scream like noise yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so cool i mean it's a really you could yeah. you could argue it's a primal scream mm. uh, you could. yeah yeah very good i'm glad that i picked <laughs> up on that cuz some people might... <laughs> um yeah, it's it's a it's a really it's a clever like again like it's a great invention of it, and I love the use yeah. of the blue blood as well, making it a little bit more violent than it kind of needs to be. I just yeah, yeah, there's yeah. all these elements that come together with those designs and how again specifically going back to how they use sound, I think it's so impactful in this and mm. so clever. Um, but on the topic of sound and music, um, and all things 
like that. We're going to go on to our first little segment before we mm. go on our first break. Um, and our first segment is called The Record Spinner here on Spilling yes. Beans. We ask guests to sort of come in with an idea of um, an either a single track or a full soundtrack uh, for a film that really means something to them. Um, and for those who are listening and aren't already aware, we've had many episodes of this, and there is actually a Spotify playlist available uh, with a track from every uh, episode of the show so far where we've had some wonderful, wonderful suggestions from uh, um, our guests on here. So, yeah, um, it's your turn. What what soundtrack or individual track would you like to put into the record spinner? So this is a soundtrack which is not composed specifically for a film, but it is a track that is uh, it's called Perpetuum Mobile. I hope I'm saying that right. But it is from a film called Mary and Max, which is a... Um, it's an, it's a sort of claymation film, and it's not hugely popular, um, but it's it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. It makes me cry every single time. And this uh, Perpetuum Mobile uh, track is this sort of quite light piano, and it sort of speeds up a bit, and it really encapsulates the feeling of that movie, um, which is essentially about a girl who's a bit, you know, she's alone, she hasn't got many friends. Uh, I think she lives in Australia. And she contacts this uh, this man who's, uh, I think, got Asperger's. He's in his sort of 50s and 60s. He's also alone. And they become they become pen pals, basically, over many, many years. Um, and I think that the soundtrack as a whole is just beautiful in, in the context of the film. But I'd have to put that specific track in because they use it. Um, they use different parts of the song throughout the entire movie where, you know, the, the sadder bits is when it uses the slower piano bits and when you know when you've got the more excited and high energy moments um it's sort of used again um but i'd, I'd have to go with that one because the, the film itself means a, you know it means a lot to me it's it's a very very deep and very very uh emotional film and i always cry at it no matter what mm. mood i'm in uh, and i you know i recommend listening to the soundtrack and also watching the film as well well, that's a great choice. I mean, I can't say that I've, I've, I'm familiar with it. Maybe I am because I'm looking it up on Spotify and it seems to have about 15 million plays. Mm. Um, so I feel like I may have, but off the top of my head, I'm not particularly sure. And I think the again, you've you've absolutely sold it. It's definitely um, a soundtrack that I'll want to listen to after this recording. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a film that I'll also check out again. What was the name of the film? You mentioned? It's called Mary, Mary and Max, and it's Mary a, and Max. Sort of, I think early 2000s, maybe. Um, and it's a sort of claymation style thing. Uh, Two thousand nine, it came out. Yeah, so right, it's right. it's not it's not as well known as I think it should be. But it's got ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so hmm. you can't really go wrong. I mean, you can, <laughs> you know. So sometimes Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is wrong, but, uh, but take very, it from me. Yeah, it's a very different kind of thing, and I think it's a it's a it's particularly an interesting one. And I always love um, on Spill Your Beans when uh, a guest comes in with something that. Um, I'm not too familiar with that I can mm. check out and almost learn more about like you know people's interests and things. But that's a great yeah. choice, great great choice. Um, we're gonna go on to our first little break now. But when we return, mm. we're gonna be doing our second segment before continuing on with our conversation about the world's end, probably more in depth about the characters and all that sort of thing. And yeah, so we'll see you all in just a minute. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your little ten-second-ish break there. Um, it was lovely. Yeah, it was quite. It was quite um, pleasant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, we're going to jump right into our next segment now, which uh, is something I love saying on here. It's something I always get a little bit of pleasure and a bit of a kick out of saying the title of this segment because it's a lot of fun. And that is the 64K Ultra Mega HD range. This is similar to the record spinner where we ask our guests to come in with a film that they'd love to recommend for this exclusive hypothetical collection. Get rid of your Criterion collections, get rid of your Steelbooks, your 4Ks, your Blu-rays, your standard definition DVDs and videos. This is the most exclusive range you'll get and you get mm. the lucky privilege today to drop one film into that collection. So, okay, what do you go I'm, for? I'm ready and I'm this may have gone in already, but 
That's mm. fine. I'm going to go with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, absolute banger. And I think a very, very underrated classic. Obviously directed by Wes Anderson, which you should be able to tell if you've seen the film because it's just so full <laughs> of, of his sort of directorial flair. Um, yeah. But it is, I think, the best animation film that you can watch. Um, I, You know, it, it, it's one of those films I don't think gets talked about enough. Um, you know, it's it's been out many, many years. 2009 it came out. Um, but I just think it is a beautiful looking film with so much humour and heart and the, the score is absolutely brilliant as well. Mister, mm. I think it's called Mr. Fox in the Fields is that sort of quite hoppy one mm. um, is the only way I can describe it. I'm not a music expert. You can probably tell from the way I've <laughs> been chatting about music so far. Um, but no, Fantastic Mr. Fox is the film that I would I would put in. Um, the characters are beautifully designed. The, the sort of warm orange that sort of underlines the entire film uh, and, and the book as well. I, I read the book when I was very, very young and it's sort of one of the the earliest books I can remember reading. So in, in that way, it's quite special to me as well. Mm. Um, but I just think it's one of those films that if you've not, it, it, you know, a lot of people have seen it, but if you haven't, um, I do recommend it. And this is the one I will be, I will be putting in the, in the collection. Yeah. I, I great one. I, I haven't seen it since I was like properly young. I think when it like came out, I think I saw it. Um, which I can't remember exactly when it came out. Like, it's like 2010, 2009. 2009 like it was, yeah. Yeah. So again, like probably a while since I've seen this. Um, but it is wholesome, isn't it? And you always see clips yeah. from it and bits of, bits of music from it. And it's always one that's really sticks out. Um, and there's no excuse. It's on Netflix. If you if you it haven't is. already seen it. Um, Before they put their prices up, get on it. <laughs> Before they stick about 20 adverts in between yeah. the film. Go and watch it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a great suggestion. It's not already been um, thrown into perfect. the collection so far, so it's a perfect little addition. Um, but yeah, no, um, it's a one that I kind of wish I could say more about, because I feel like I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with um, some of Wes Anderson's work. I do need to get on watching more of mm. his films. Um, and it's one that I have a lot of fond memories from. Maybe it was like in the McDonald's Happy Meal range. Maybe that's how I remember it as well. It may have been, yeah. It may have been. <laughs> um, um, but I do remember the book as well. I think Was it, was it Roald Dahl? Is it a Roald Dahl book? I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would be a fake fan if I... If I think it is. Yeah, it is. It is. There we go. It is. It, it is. Just yes, fact-check um, yeah. that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely fantastic. Are you... Um, a bit of a sort of animated film fan because I've noticed obviously you've mentioned Mary and Max there but also Fantastic Mr. Fox um, yeah I mean I do I do love features. an an I do love an animated film and I think um, I like to come out in defence of them because I think mm. there's there's been a bit of um, hubbub is the word I'll use um, about the sort of animations just for children and only children really appreciate it and it's even at the Oscars when it's even the way it's presented on the on the on the award cards um, it's not being presented in the same way as as live action films, and I think yeah. the animated films need to be sort of given um, the appreciation that they deserve because they've got huge teams working on, mm. you know, every single frame and the modelling and all the character design just to bring it to your eyes. And um, with the the Turning Red film that came out recently, I don't mm. know if you've seen it, but it is. I haven't. No. Um, it's it's one of those films that I watched the sort of behind the scenes documentary, and you just realise how much. Mm-hmm. effort goes into making animated films uh, i'm not saying more so or less so than than live action films but you no, but yeah you really come to appreciate the work that people do and i think that to sort of there's a lot of people who would just go well they're kids films as soon as it's animated oh it's a kids film mm. and i i don't think that's that's fair at all which is why i've chosen to you know talk about mary and max and also fantastic mr fox because i think that animated films of that genre um deserve more appreciation than they than they currently get it's a good bloody point as well. I mean, I, something that annoyed me recently, I think, with um, Twitter was, uh, I think it was, I can't remember what film it was now, but I think it was, um, it was somewhat, it was a thing about the cinematography in the Thor trailer. Um, mm. And there's a lot of people going around, this is visual effects, it's not cinematography. And it's just, it baffles me because it goes into that sort of animation camp where it's like, well, what, if something's not shot entirely practically in real life, it's not cinematography. Yeah, it's just... As if, like, it just baffles me, and it really just got under my skin. So I'm like, just, just tell me you don't understand filmmaking without it's telling me you don't understand filmmaking. Cinematography, <laughs> cinema, not like this must be live actionography. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like it's, it's yeah, it's not an algorithm. People have spent 
tireless hours and days and months creating these backgrounds and these elements for you to just go, well, it's not real cinematography because it's not yeah. actually a, a physical a physical thing that you can touch. Well, like, yeah. I mean, Greg Fraser's just won, like, the Oscar for director of photography for June. And June isn't all practical. Let me just make that no clear. No way! Whoa! Really? <laughs> I can't believe it, George. But it just baffles me because it's like the people who must have seem like, well, yeah, of course, like, these films have got cinematographers and directors of photography and people in that department because... It has to have a visual style to it. Animation, yeah. exactly the same. It's like, tell me Spider-Verse doesn't oh, have... I like... was just thinking of that, because that's, <laughs> that's probably my favourite Spider-Man film. Purely because the cinematography is so yeah. damn good. It's beautiful. It's a beautifully made film, because it, it's it, so good. colour and everything pops. It's mm. It's got that thought put into it. And like I know that was in reference to like a CGI like background, but... The same can be said about like anything. If you, if CGI doesn't like, that, you, that's not cinematography. That's visual effects. Well, it's like you could say the same thing about animation, mm. and that's just not correct. You know? No, exactly. It's a visual medium that is communicating an idea to you, and exactly. if it does it in a if it does it in a brilliant way, in a creative way, exactly. then it's cinematography, and it should be appreciated. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why I'm glad that you've talked about animation today, because you're too right. I don't even know if we've got any animated films currently in. Um, we actually don't have any animated films currently <gasps> in crying, our crying um, 64K Ultra Mega HD range. So that is the very first and well, a bloody good one to go in first as well. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be. I'm glad to be a pioneer <laughs> on spill your beans of the uh, of the animation. So more people yeah. need to appreciate it next. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's jump back into uh, the world's end because I think if of we talk, if we rant about people disregarding animation any longer. I think I might start losing some hair. Um, no, that's fair so enough. let's <laughs> just jump back into the world's end. Um, something I've got my notes here are like cast and crew and characters, and we've kind of already talked about that. Mm. Um, so I think I want to ask sort of out of everything that's sort of in the film in terms of its connectivity and sort of mm. uh, like references and things that it makes to itself. What sort of really sticks out to you is your sort of like favorite mention? There's a lot there. It is really difficult. It yeah. is really, really difficult, but I think it is the symbolism. I think it is the co- the the way the film connects with itself, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Because, you know, I can appreciate the characters every time I watch it, and yeah. I sort of appreciate them in a similar way, and I go, okay, well, this is Gary's story, this is Andy's story, this is the way they interconnect. But every single time I watch it, I notice something else about the symbolism. And, like, you know, like we realised at the start, you, you notice things that I didn't, I noticed mm. things that you didn't, yeah. and... I think with with every rewatch that you do of this film, and I think with a lot of films, um, you just go, I didn't notice that before. That's really, really clever. Mm. And, you know, I just think of all the people that will have, will watch World's End and not pick up on any of it and just go, that was, that was all right. That was all mm. right. Why, why were the pubs called that? I don't know. I don't really care either. And, and you just think, well, yeah, it it's so well crafted. And mm. I just think that it, it feels like and I think this is why, obviously, you can, you know, cinema is, is an art within itself mm. and such a, a, a brilliant art form because it feels like every single frame is like a, it's like a painting. Every single mm. frame has, has, has got those references in it. It's got the symbolism um, and it, even more so in the world's end because it just feels like, you know, the whole Chekhov's gun premise, of course. Yeah, yeah. Course. Yeah, it feels like that, but with everything. Yeah. Every single yeah. bit of symbolism is not wasted and no. everything is a callback. And some people might go, well, that's a bit you know, lazy or on the nose or, oh, you've got to call, call back all the time. It's like, well, the whole film is about not letting go of the past. Yeah. That's one of the main points. And it, that, you know, it's, it would be, it's perfect for that. It would be remiss not to do loads and loads of callbacks, which is why I like it. And I think that, I think I'd have to choose that specific feature of the film, mm. the symbolism and the callbacks and the sort of visual style of it as, as my favourite part. That's a good show. And I think there's so much to it, I think, with, um, and even now I'm just thinking of other little things, the the way it connects back to itself, and I think the way the the twists sort of manifest themselves as well, um, mm. is like you have like the characters and stuff, and like even right at the beginning, one of my favourite plot points is uh, the reveal of Martin Freeman's character as being a blank about halfway through, mm. um, and you can the best thing about it is is it tells you this in the opening. Like that, he mm. he he sort of he drops out earlier on. And I think yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. exactly if it's the right. Pub, it was Pete Chuck. He, Pete Chuck. Yes, it's the same. It's the same pub, and also the one where Pete Chuck's a white. Yeah, yeah. Is the same one that he dies at. Yeah, 
I think the thing with me with the, the Oliver thing is like it's, it's mentioned about oh he didn't make it this far last time mm. but actually he really didn't he made it at exactly the same place and mm. when they all have the whole Reverend Green thing um, mm. when Oliver comes out of the bathroom you hear that hand dryer yeah you hear yeah, the hand yeah. dryer his hair is pristine and perfect and also his birthmark's back I'm pretty sure because yeah. he's, a, he's a fresh and that's the thing that the the big the big thing about the, the, the like actually noticing it was that's how Andy spotted it is he had the six mm. back on the side of his head, mm. um, but it's just so clever and it's it's not like they hid that until the scene where they show you it's very clear once you see it and you look back mm. and go yeah it's really weird like the way my, my my entire thing once he turned into a blank and before it was officially revealed my eyes were on him the whole time because I was yes, so interested in his performance and I think his performance is brilliant in this. It he... tells you very sorry. Go yeah, on. no, 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 no. Let's go for it. It, it sort of, it sort of tells you that he's a blank before it reveals it, and mm. it's it feels very similar to a scene in the Last Jedi. I know a very very controversial film. No, it's very, not. Very it's brilliant. Go for it. It's it's my second favorite Star Wars film. So, um. well, this is coming out a week after, um, which I haven't recorded yet. It's weird, but um, the Star Wars sequels review I'm doing with well, Ryan Cooper. So all I'll say is very relevant. I, I love the Last Jedi, and I'll defend mm. it to my dying breath. Um, mm. But that scene where Luke stares down Kylo, and there's so many teases that he's not actually there. It mm. feels very similar to that. He doesn't yeah. make any footprints in the in the salt. His lightsaber's back together again. Yeah. You know, there's so many little visual cues to that. And then when it reveals it, you go, "Oh, I sort of knew that." And it's the yeah. same with the World's End when they reveal that he's a blank, because you just sort of get given those tiny little, you get drip fed those tiny little things. Yeah. And then when the re- even, but even when the reveal comes, you sort of go. But they don't just sort of ask him, are you a blank? Are you a yeah. blank? They just let me knock his head off. Mm. And it just comes out of nowhere. And you just, what? It just shocks you. It's such a good moment. But I think, again, like even just keeping your eye on him throughout the film after he gets mm. turned is so interesting. Because yeah. he acts as like a tour guide. As soon as, he, yeah. as soon as he switches, it's like when they go into the mermaid, he's sort of like head and ear. He's like, oh, where, where are the others? Oh, they're blending in. It's like he's getting them in that direction he's getting them exactly where the network want them to yeah. be it's funny how they say this so much about robots not being a slave but he kind of is in this His yes entire yeah, yeah. role functionally before he gets found out is to do the bidding of the network and sort of lead mm. them in the direction and sort of you know falsely push them into an area is that, that the same pub when they see the marmalade sandwich yeah um so yeah, the, the mermaid where they where they're like the club and yes. they're dancing um and he sort of does all that and then he brings in like Sam's ex like mm. lover who died in a car crash. He's like, Oh, didn't you like him? Yeah, he's over there. It's like yeah, really yeah. obvious, but it's I don't know, it's great. And and it's the fact that obviously like he was so um he at the start of the film he just did not want to talk about his sister being with other men because obviously his sister and, and all that mm. sort of stuff and it's awkward. But but here he's he's essentially trying to be like, Yeah, yeah, he's over there. Go talk to him. Go talk to yeah. him. At the start of the film he's like, Do not talk about my sister in any way but then obviously when he's been changed and he's obviously working for the network, yeah. That guy that you like, he's over there. Yeah, go talk yeah. To go do, go do our bidding. It's it's so like clever in that because again, it's got all those sort of bits to it. And I never really realised again until, until last night really how the human characters worked in that, like what their crack was. And I think again, and this is what one thing I will say about films generally is since I've started watching films primarily with subtitles on all the time, I've picked up so much more. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like especially with the world's end and stuff. It's like I'm I'm sitting there and going, oh shit! Like I didn't even think about how. I don't know, it's like, they have to do... Like, they almost are slaves, in mm. a way, when they're humans. Yeah, yeah. Because they have to do a perfect job, otherwise they get turned and killed yeah, literally. and replaced. That's it, and it's like, only the t- like the two the, the two p- humans left at the end of the like, Mad Basil are like Rishi Smith, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but he's brilliant in Benidorm. Um, he, was in un- he was in Uncle as well, he played the, um, the dad in Uncle, which yeah, is a brilliant show. Yeah, he's... They're they're both quite like nerdy characters, quite like yeah, quiet people, very like kind of the kind of people who you like, oh I bet they're gonna do well in life, you know yeah yeah, and it's so interesting the way they use that and 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 play with that is that's the perfect ideal for the network. They don't need to replace these people because they are they're just already such, they're just such perfect. squares that yeah, they will go exactly. along with. Like we don't exactly. need to replace them; they'll do what we say anyway. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm guessing that they die at the end. There's no way they escape that. Yeah, most surely. Unless it and doesn't, same, doesn't kill them, the blast, unless it's just like an EMP, which is what it kind of suggested, it I suppose. It did look like a big fireball, and they were driving pretty yeah, hurriedly away. From, I mean, that's I don't true. know. I mean, we know that it was an EMP in the sense of it shut down every bit of technology, but 
Mm. I did not want to be caught in that in that fire. Maybe right, yeah, maybe right next to the actual World's End pub. It probably wouldn't have been great, would it? <laughs> no, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 so many of those details, and we could go on forever about it. I think there's so much yeah. to the film, and so much to it, like in those details, which I, I absolutely love. And I think, yeah, but something that really strikes for me, and going back to something we talked about right at the beginning, is the way they write these characters and the depth that they have. Mm is unlike any of the other Cornell trilogy films for me. Yeah. There's an element of friendship and, and camaraderie that you get with Shaun of the Dead that works really well, but it's yeah. very surface level. And it it's great, his relationship, yeah. Shaun and Ed's relationship, because they're very different characters. But with this, Gary and Andy's relationship as friends and like how Andy can't let him go. Mm. He has to stop him. He has to, you know, help him. That responsibility that that is so still there, and every yeah. time I watched this when I was younger, I was always annoyed at Andy. I was like, what? "Just let him have that last pint. What's the problem? Yeah. Like, let him do." It. But it's not about the pint, and it's I not think about it's the pint. so cleverly done. Is yeah. that when I was younger and didn't get it, I was like, what, what, "I don't understand. Just let him have it." Like, I, I understand it's pissed you off, but like, just let him have the drink. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but with the um, like. I understand it now. Now that I'm older and I'm and I see it, I'm like, this is so much deeper than I could even remember. Mm. And the fantastic stuff about again, like that message about Gary getting help and it not working, mm. and him not understanding that, and him not being able mm. to progress past that state of being a teenager where he just wants to have fun. And there's no, it's not fun. He's being told, yeah, you know, he, that line where he said, like he's told when to go to bed, like me, Gary. Yeah, they King. told I'm me like, when to go to bed. So powerful, like all that, of that, that hit, is that hit so me like powerful. a truck. It's so yeah. good. It's so well put together, and I think again, one of if not Simon Pegg's absolute best performances, probably his best. It's my favorite of his. He's I think, so good. I think with Simon Pegg, especially in the other two Cornetta trilogy films, in one of them he's playing a guy who just sort of just does his job and is a bit mundane. In the other one, he's you know a police officer who's so by the book, and it's weird yeah. seeing it's weird seeing Nick Frost play the sort of. I'm the professional one, and and Simon Pegg being that I'm the completely screwed up. I can't let go of the past. All this sort of stuff. I'm so glad they did though, because it's such a. Oh, it's it, it works so well in the film's favour that it is a different dynamic, and it gives both of those actors real time to do something special. Where it's like, mm. yes, it's a comedy. Yes, it fits within that genre, but it is so like they're both. Both the characters are so deep, and I think that like. There's so much thought and time gone into not just the the dialogue and the characters and the development, but also the performances as well. And I yeah. think that's so important. And especially in that last scene, that fight between the two, and especially Simon Pegg's performance. Like I love Nick Frost, but that Simon Pegg just in this just really hits me. Like, yeah. The emotion that comes from him, and you can see how much this means to him because he's literally when he says it's all he's got left, it's all I've got, and he's like, you know, and you're just like, oh my god, it's true though, and it is you true. Feel, it's like, you feel so bad for him, even yeah. though he's a massive, even though he's a knob. Yeah, you feel so bad for him. It's true though, and it, I, 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 I'm sat there and I'm, and I'm like, yeah, because for someone like that who, you know, got like addicted and 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 isn't well really mm. and had to get help, it's like that is what he's like to him. Like, to everyone else, you sort of see the other side of it for that yeah. sort of minute. You really do see the other side. Everyone else is like, well, yeah, they're just getting on with their lives. They're moving on. They're having. Mm. He can't move on, and it's not. It's not his fault, and I think yeah. that's the clever thing about it. Is in that moment you're like, they just almost like you almost want him to be happy because it's like, yeah, he's he's a bit of a dick, but I don't know if he can help it, and that's no, just I get, him. I get exactly what you mean. It's not like he's a dick because he's a horrible guy. Mm. Deep down, he just wants to be okay, and he just wants to hold on to the things that kept him safe, being the car being the music that he loved as when he was younger and i think the ending is sort of very sort of it's very clever in the way that it's like he's sort of still holding on to the past with his mm. friends yeah but he's is he teetotal or maybe he just has a glass of water you know what i mean he's he's shaved he's he's cleaned himself up he looks a bit better um and he's willing to defend the ideals that he would have mm. spat on at the start of the film um so the, yeah, there's, there's, really clever. You're right because there's a balance of it, isn't it? He, he's mm. having no water. He's he's shaved, so he's definitely cleaned himself up. But he's also 
with his like his the younger versions of his mates, and mm. he's still in that sort of regressed state. But what it, what it says to me is it's a man who he can't move on and it's been sort of thrown in his face quite a lot throughout the film where you can't move on as if it's his fault and as if it's a bad thing mm. and what at the end of the film says for me is when it's he's like yeah he can't move on but it's not a bad thing and he mm. can live the rest of his life with these blanks yeah. and stay in that bubble where he was the most happy yeah. in his life and, and, it's, I think and that's it's so special it's the I fact as well that like um, Andy says that they've not heard from Gary so even though he wanted to see his friends again the people he really wanted to see was his childhood friends, and the people he met in those pubs were not his childhood friends. They That's were the, it. you know, That's they were the estate agents and the uh, site managers and and all this sort of stuff. He's been given like he doesn't want to be his, you know, he obviously rejects his younger self. He doesn't want to be young again, but he wants to be with his old friends again because mm. even though he's aged, his desires and his the things he wants in life have not. Which is why, when given the opportunity, do you want to live the rest of your life with the permanent versions of your childhood friends he goes yeah i'll do it Mm. and that is what fixes him that is what allows him to clean up Mm. because it's sort of in a way that's you know that's the help Mm. that he needed and it's it's not like the world's gone to the world's gone to shit like you know what i mean yeah he he has he 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 doesn't need to be a responsible adult anymore and and that's it like gary has his ideas of who his friends should be he questions Mm. everything that he's not used to like about oh do you have to check with your missus it's like he doesn't understand those things that have progressed like he's you know he still talks in the same way and he expects the same things is to have those younger versions of his Mm. friends i think it, it works with that because even though they're blanks it's sort of like he almost knows more about the younger versions of them than maybe they did. And he knows yeah. the interactions and how... And, yeah, he's probably not well by the end of it, but it's a man who's struggled and is mm. happy and is probably yeah. the one who comes out of this film actually better. But they all they all sort of get a happy ending, really. They get they a happy ending. Sort of they get a happy but ending. But he gets the best ending. I think he gets the, the happiest ending. Yeah. And I think the one that means the, the, the good him. ending. And I love, I love that... Again, in that sort of sequence where they're going, you know, it's something I picked up on this time, which again is something a bit, a bit new to me that I wasn't really expecting because I always saw it is when they're sort of showing the younger version of Gary to Gary. It's like, oh, you can always, you can like, kind of live on as your younger self, and you can, you can, you know, um, you can be young again and have your life experience. What I sort of interpreted this time, and maybe I'm wrong in this, maybe this isn't the inter- intention at all, but what I sort of saw with it is the network wanting to give Gary. A legacy, and it's like mm. you went around this town wanting to be famous. Everyone, you want everyone to know your name. Yeah. we're gonna, we can do that, but make you a better person, and like mm. have this younger version of yourself, and you can be like, be the the the, the man you've become, the boy you were. And I think that's mm. clever. But what's brilliant about that is how Gary rejects that, not just as wanting to be young, and there's only one Gary King, but like he doesn't want to be a legacy, really. Mm. What I think deep down he really wants, and he says about all this, and he wants to regress to his childhood self, who maybe was like that. I love the idea that all he really wants is to have a good time, and I think that is so yeah. poignant by the end of the film. Yeah, because the the true the true character development of Gary is mm. his motivations throughout the whole film are the same. He wants to have a good time, mm. but the rejection of his younger self, he sort of realised, I don't need to be young to have a good time. Mm. I don't need to drink alcohol to have a good time. I don't need to do this to have a good time. All I need is my mates from my childhood that I love, and all I, that's all I need. My I can f- have a good time. Yeah, my friends of how I remember them. Yeah, Before yeah. they got on and with their life and before they exactly. changed, because he didn't change. Yeah, and, and, and he, he essentially gets exactly what he needs. Hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe all the other characters do as well. You know, Andy's back with his missus. They've gone organic, like he said he was going to at mm. the start. Do they? Do they all sort of get what they want at the end? Mm. Maybe this whole film is telling us that technology is in fact bad, mm. and if we rejected it, we would all be happy. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and on that note, thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can check us. You can check it out on on all these platforms. Uh, share, follow, all this sort of good stuff. But technology is bad. Technology is bad. Yeah. Um. I think it's 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 a good note to sort of round off on, and I think in terms of the film itself, and in terms of something that I think is, it, it plays on a lot of themes of your childhood self, but as well like legacy. And I think yeah. this film 
in itself, I think, deserves a better legacy. I think it's always talked about as the one that's not as good as the others. And I think mm. one thing I will say to anyone who's made it this far through the podcast is if you haven't seen this film, or if you haven't, well, if you haven't seen the film, sorry for ruining it. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen this film in a long time, or you've only seen it once or twice, really consider giving it a rewatch. Yeah. Like, check it out again at some point, because it is worth your time. It's not even that long. It's a solid film, and it has a lot of great comedic moments. There's a comedy, and we've barely talked about the comedic moments, but yeah. it is a funny film. It is a what is your, Okay, what is your favourite comedic moment, then, just to sort of, before we wrap up? Oh, so I, I know mine. I know mine 100%. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. I think... Um, I think some of the last speech is brilliant, but I think something that, that works really well for me is is the dialogue exchange when he shows up in The Beast for the first time yes. and they're all sat at the bus stop and he gets out and he just says like, oh, look at these cunts. And I think it's brilliant. Yeah. It's so like, I just look at that and go, yeah, I'll, I, I, I'm like that now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've got two favourite jokes and they're not they're not even clever. They're literally, this is the thing, like, mm. they're not even clever jokes. The, the one joke is um, he's gone for a wee or a... And then that's brilliant like that and and that just cracks me up every time how's that a poo also, yeah <laughs> yeah how's that a poo um, it's but the so other good one, yeah yeah it's brilliant and the other one is um is Andy when he's obviously very drunk he goes they know what we're doing and we know what we're doing <laughs> but they don't know what we're doing so fuck it and he just puts his hand straight through the glass and he doesn't it's, even react and he just goes it's brilliant and there's so many moments like that what I love about it, the jokes as well is almost in a bit of a um kind of fourth wall breaking way the jokes get more basic and simple as the drunker they get. Like yeah, at the beginning yeah. of the film, there's a lot of clever little jokes, like about the yeah, limbo yeah, yeah. and about like the way he's so, like Gary's sitting on like a the sofa, and you think it's almost like a psychiatrist kind of thing, and then yes, it's actually yeah, like yeah. in his house, and then it's actually I've a never show been to house. Gardens. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and there's all that sort of stuff, and then there's all those clever jokes in the early pub stuff, like the, the King Arthur stuff, uh, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. beer and the mead. And then by the end, it's just fuck off, you big lamp. And then <laughs> you just like get you know the 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 Legoland uh, course, which I think is is brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I think there's yeah there's so much of it. I think it's it's a it's a fantastic comedic film. And I think there's so many. And I think one of it in terms of like a reference comedic point, I love how he like again like one of the last things he says to the network is like basically quote for quote like the beginning of the film, like the song that plays at the beginning of the film. Mm. Um, what which, is it that you want to do? Yeah, we want to be free. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what and you mean. And the whole exchange, and I think it's it's so clever how they just incorporated that. And I had a big shit-eating grin on my face when I saw that last night. Again, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I love this. This is great. It's just brilliant. It's just a romp. It's an absolute romp from start um, to finish. Uh, yeah, but one. So I think we've we've basically wrapped up this. The, the thoughts on it. I think we both love this film, and I think it's yeah. It's, <laughs> we've made that very clear. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And something that, uh, going back to, again, another film in the Cornell trilogy, uh, Hot Fuzz, um, a film mm. that people love quite a lot. There's a there's a joke and a sort of line that's raised quite a lot in that that I thought I'd bring back here, either for this episode, maybe I'll make it a regular thing. Who knows? We'll see how Who this knows? lands. But I want to just finish on one little question, which is, what's your perfect Sunday? Oh, Christ. <laughs> My perfect Sunday. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, honestly. I'm just going to throw that in there. Honestly, this is like, I've just been given, like, whiplash. I'm just trying to... <laughs> okay, my perfect Sunday. This is really, really difficult. What's your perfect um, Sunday? Um, you know, that answer it jokingly, you can answer it seriously. I don't care either way. My perfect Sunday would be with my friends, and this is going to sound really cheesy, in my friends, maybe in a Spoons, down in Bournemouth, which is where I live, and I love it, down maybe on the beach or by the beach, because we've got mm. lovely beaches, just soaking up the sun. Not too hot, because I, I don't like it too mm. hot. I get sweaty mm. very easily. Very attractive, I know. Um, <laughs> but, like, in some moderately hot weather, maybe a glass of Coke. You know, I, I'm not a big drinker, so Pepsi mm. Max will do me. Mm. Um, just drinking in the atmosphere and having a good time. You know, that's what we want to do. We want to be free. We want to be free to do what we want to do. That's it. Beautiful. It's perfect Sunday. It's a, it's a great way to end this. I, it was a totally random thing where I was like, should I throw this in? I'm thinking, yeah. And that'll be a fun little question to start doing. Honestly, I, wasn't, I was thinking, okay, hot fuzz, questions, questions. What could, what could George ask me? What's your perfect Sunday? It hit mm. me like an arrow. I've got to explain, <laughs> I've got to explain what I enjoy doing. It's Christ. good because it's a daft question, but it's also a yeah. film reference, so it works. 
Exactly. I think you should. I think that should be a permanent thing. I think that's very. <laughs> I'm, we did it at the end of the Hot Fuzz one. And I thought, just in the back of my mind, it's like maybe when we do the next series, I'll make this a thing. Who knows? Do it. Maybe do I it. will. <laughs> anyway, um, before we sort of say goodbyes and all that sort of thing, social medias. Uh, do you, do you have any things you'd like to mention or link or shout out or anything like um, that? The floor is yours. Okay. Thank you for that. So anything that I do will be on my link tree. So it's just link tree pig and tea break. Very Keep modern. it concise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do chat about politics sometimes. If that's not your thing, understandable. Don't follow <laughs> me on Twitter if, if that's not your thing. Um, but, you know, I've got TikTok. I've got Twitch. I sometimes stream on Twitch. Uh, very rarely. But, mm. you know, if anything takes your fancy, go check it out. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. But I appreciate being on. I've had a great time chatting about a film that I love. And it's it's been good. It's been good. That's good. Um, and if you want to follow us on the podcast and all that sort of thing, you know, my personal Twitter and Instagram handles are at GBSheard. And for the podcast itself, at Spill Your Beans on Twitter and at Spill Your Beans Pod on Instagram. Um, that is all for today. I'm not sure what next week's episode is, so I'll probably be as surprised as you guys are. Um, but do stick around. It'll probably be something really exciting, I'm sure. I can guarantee that. It's going to be, it's going to be a hell of a time. Whatever it ends up being. 10 out of 10. Be- be fantastic do not miss it do not miss it <laughs> um and if you haven't already checked out some of the older episodes and uh all that sort of thing we've got uh, a lot of varied content whether it's doctor who tv reviews you're looking for or whether it's general film reviews panel discussions and even film commentaries which we're going to be doing some more of in the future which i'm quite excited for um but yeah thank you all for listening slash watching and see you all soon have a lovely day bye bye